Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Father, you are our eternal God. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to, to enter into more into your love, to let, Lord, your word speak to our hearts and that we might, Lord, embrace it, believe it, and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is a very interesting verse because, for one thing, it's coming at the end of the first five books of Moses, the only five books of Moses. And verse 1 of this chapter, if you just look at verse one of this chapter, it tells us what and who and when as a background for verse 27. So verse one tells us, this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. This was Moses' blessing on the children of Israel. Moses spoke these words before his death. After a full life, Moses, called the man of God, speaks his last words. These are Moses' last words, which are a blessing on Israel. It identifies him, Moses, the man of God. And was he ever? Moses was the great forsaker of the world. Moses was the prince of Egypt who was in line to take over the throne for Pharaoh. He was to be the ruler of the most powerful nation in the world. Moses lived in luxury in Pharaoh's courts. Moses had all the best. He had the best education. He had the best military training. He had everything that Egypt, as the most powerful nation, could give a person. And very early, relatively early in his life, he forsook it all. He left it all. He left his future in Egypt in order to have a future with the people of God who were slaves on the road to extermination. And it speaks about this in Hebrews 11, 24 through 25, in Hebrews 11, 24, where it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That was Moses, the great forsaker. Moses, the great deliverer of Israel. He rescued the Jewish people from extermination. He rushed the Jewish people quickly out of Egypt, only taking time 
as he did, to make sure every family was sheltered under an umbrella, the umbrella of the blood of the Passover lamb. He was the great leader. Moses was the great leader of Israel. Moses led Israel up to and through the parted Red Sea, which then closed fatally on Pharaoh and his army. Moses led the people to Mount Sinai, the place of God's holiness, where Israel could see the holiness of God and their own sinfulness. Moses led the people to build the tabernacle, the place of God's Shekinah glory, the dwelling place where God said, I will meet with man there. Moses was the great warrior who led Israel to defeat their enemies, holding up his hands on the mountain as Israel warred. Moses was the great teacher, and that's how we know him. He's our teacher. We say, Rabbi, my teacher, Rabbeinu, our teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, as he's known among the Jewish people today. Moses taught who God was. He taught who man was. And most importantly, he taught how man could become a friend of God's. Moses was the great writer, the great writer of the Bible. He wrote more of the Bible than any other person. He wrote the account of creation. He wrote the history of the patriarchs. He wrote the laws of God. He wrote the way of God's salvation through blood. He was the great writer. Moses was the great friend of God. God said in Numbers 12, 8, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Exodus 33, 11, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Deuteronomy 34, 10, there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses, unusual, spoke to God mouth to mouth, face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. He was the great friend of God. Moses was the great lawgiver. He revealed to man who God is, his holiness, and then how man is so far from God. Now, this great man, Moses, has finished his work on earth. This man, this great man, Moses, he must die. And so God has invited his friend Moses to climb up Mount Nebo the last time to see this great promised land and then to lie down and die and be buried by God in a grave that's even secret to this day. Moses then, with his finished work on earth behind him and God in front of him, he turns back now and he speaks these last words to the children of Israel. All that remains for Moses now is to die and start the beginning of his new life with God. But for Moses now, earth is becoming just more and more closed down, more and more diminished, smaller and smaller, and heaven is becoming larger and larger. And he knows that he's going to depart. He knows he's going to soon depart. So he's really got one foot on the shore of earth and one foot on heaven's shore. And so in that sense, he's just like Paul, who in 2 Timothy 4, 5, 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul wrote, but watch thou, to Timothy he wrote, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am ready now to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I have kept the faith. 
See, Paul, knowing he was about to leave earth, he gave his last words, which were really words of encouragement. Timothy, when he said to him, watch in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Jacob knew when he was going to die. He knew when he was about to leave earth. He gave his last words. He encouraged Joseph in Genesis 48, 21. Genesis 48, 21. And Israel said unto Joseph, behold, I die. But God shall be with you and bring you again into the land of your fathers. Joseph, he knew when he was going to die. And he gave his last words to encourage Israel in Genesis 50, 24. Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which you swear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So now, like Paul, like Jacob, like Joseph, they all knew they were going to die. They encouraged Moses now, knows he's going to die, and he speaks this greatest words of encouragement when he says in verse 27, the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Moses encourages them by talking about the eternal God and the everlasting arms. He uses these words. He's, in essence, he's saying to Israel, I want you to think now about eternity. Stop now thinking about all your responsibilities, all your worries, all you have to do, and just now think about eternity. And Moses' subject as he turns his people, it's eternity. It's the light beyond. Thinking about eternity is what makes a man different from the animals. Animals can't think about eternity. You're never going to see a dog thinking, I wonder where it's going to happen to me after I die. That's not going to happen. Why can man think about eternity? Because of what God has set in the heart of man that God did not set in the heart of animals. And that's described in Ecclesiastes 3.11. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he had set the world in their heart. The word world is the word olam, which means eternity. So it really is, he had set eternity in their heart. God set olam, eternity, in their heart. It's the same word, olam, that's used here in Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the olam, the everlasting arms. Not animals, but only man asks the first three questions that are at the entrance of the Creation Museum in Santee, which are, where did I come from? What's the meaning of life? And what happens after I die? Those are the questions of Olam. Those are the questions of eternity. Only man, not animals, only man, asks those questions because God has set eternity in the heart of man. Man is a creature of eternity. Man was made for the eternal God. Man will never be happy without the eternal God. Last Friday, Clint was walking through the cemetery and reading me grave markers. And that's a very sobering thing to do, to walk through the cemetery. It's sobering because it causes you to think about death. It causes you to think about the event of death. And there's two things that come about when you think about death. It's inevitable, it's inescapable. And a walk through a cemetery convinces you. You see people and you look at the dates and you wonder, well, that was a very, that was 85 years old, that was 17 years old. Young people, all ages. And as you do that, you're just struck with the fact that the event of death is inevitable and inescapable. A walk through the Bible teaches us that death is inevitable and inescapable, but it also teaches us that not only death, but also judgment is inevitable and inescapable, as it says in Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto men once 
to die, but after this, the judgment. Appointments with death and judgment are inevitable and inescapable. Man is eternal, and in eternity, man will either be united to God or separated from God, because man is eternal, and God has set eternity in man's heart, and so man is concerned about his own eternity. Man outside of God is plagued with three troubles. The trouble of emptiness, the trouble of loneliness, and the trouble of homelessness. The trouble of emptiness. Outside of God, man feels empty. It doesn't matter what wealth a person has put together or what he has accomplished in his life. There's an underlying sense of emptiness. Women, silly women, turned King Solomon's heart away from God. And while he was away from God, he accomplished probably more than any other person, buildings, wealth, wisdom, and he gave his conclusion for a life away from God, filled with all these great accomplishments, all the pleasures, all the, the mass. He said in Ecclesiastes 1.14, Ecclesiastes 1.14, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. All is vanity or emptiness and vexation of spirit. Man away from God finds that what's new today, what's exciting today has a short life. And it must be replaced by something else that's new, something else that's exciting tomorrow, because the result is emptiness in a troubled spirit. What the existentialists call the dark black tunnel with no escape. We close, Camus called it, no escape. It makes life absurd without meaning. That's the epitome of a deep feeling of emptiness. Man without the eternal God is empty, but man without the eternal God is lonely. There was a survey conducted in France among people who had extramarital affairs, and the key problem that they stated in their lives was loneliness. Man away from God suffers from the trouble of loneliness. Loneliness is everywhere. We live in San Diego, America's finest city. People are lonely. People in a busy workplace feel lonely. Young people in crowded homes commit suicide because they feel lonely. Even between husband and wives, there's this feeling of utter, indescribable loneliness. So behind all the smiles, behind all the outgoing personalities, deep down, there is a haunt of loneliness. Man without the eternal God is lonely. Man without the eternal God is homeless. You know, a house is where a person lives, but a home is different from a house. A home is a place where there's perfect understanding. There's self-sacrificing love. A home is a place where there's perfect shelter, where there's food, where there's comfort. Home is like heaven on earth. And man without the eternal God, he may have a house. He may have a great house. But man without the eternal God is homeless. So when Moses spoke these words in Deuteronomy 33, 27, he said, the eternal God is thy refuge. And the Hebrew word there for refuge, me'onah, is the word that means home or dwelling place or habitation. So what Deuteronomy 33, 27 is really saying is that the eternal God is thy home. What a statement for Israel to make to Israel. 
For 40 years, Israel has been nomads. They've been in a desert. They have no home. They're homeless for 40 years. And now Moses says, I know you are yearning for a home. Let me tell you, your home's not in Canaan. The eternal God is your home. The promised land is not your home. The eternal God is your home. And the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's very interesting. The Greek word he used for in is the word ice, and it means into. So the verse really better reads, let not your heart be troubled. You believe into God, believe also into me. And this ice or into, that's the same word that's used in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth into me shall have, shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. When we believe into the Lord Jesus Christ, we become a part of his body. And seeing this in the light of our verse, in the light of Deuteronomy 33, 27, the eternal God is thy refuge, the eternal God is thy home, means that when we believe into God, or believe into the Lord Jesus Christ, we come home. We come home to God as the eternal God becomes our home. We make God or the Lord Jesus Christ our home. And by believing into him, we open the door to home as him as the eternal God. Once inside, the eternal God is our home. We are no longer homeless. And we find in the Lord Jesus Christ perfect home of understanding, of love, of shelter, of comfort. Once inside, the eternal God is our home. Our emptiness is replaced by a satisfying fulfillment. Once inside, the eternal God is our home. Our loneliness is replaced with friendship with God, fellowship with God. That's amazing. It's amazing that God is to be our home. The eternal God wants to be our home. The eternal God wants to be our home he wants to take away the emptiness. He wants to take away the loneliness. He wants to take away the homelessness, all by being the eternal God as our home. And when we say, oh, but I'm too weak. I'm just too weak to make the eternal God my home. I might do it, but then I'm afraid I'll run away from home. And I'm afraid that I'll sin. I'm afraid I'll run, I'll run away from my home of the eternal God. God knows that. He knows all about our weakness. And so to keep us from running away from home, he goes, he says, I'll help you. I'll help you by keeping you at home with the support of my everlasting arms. Underneath, all around us, to keep us from running away from home, the eternal God says, underneath are the everlasting arms. All through scripture, whenever it speaks about the arms of God or the hands of God, it's referring really to the power of God, to the ability of God. The eternal God is our home and staying at home, it's not about our arms or our ability. It's all about God's everlasting arms and abilities. But this all came. The eternal God had to open the door. He had to open the door for us to have him as our home, supported by the everlasting arms that came with a cost. And the cost was those everlasting arms stretched out on a cross for our sins. The cost was those hands nailed through for our sins. The cost to take away our emptiness was the Lord Jesus Christ experiencing unbelievable emptiness of his soul. Of his soul, as he talked about being poured out in Isaiah 53, 12. Isaiah 53, 12. He hath poured out his soul unto death. That's emptiness. The cost to take away our loneliness was the Lord Jesus Christ experiencing loneliness. The kind of loneliness 
where when he most needed someone, anyone, and he looked around for someone to comfort him, someone to help him, he reported in Psalm 6920, Psalm 6920, reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. The cost to take away our homelessness, homelessness was the Lord Jesus Christ experiencing homelessness himself. He said in Matthew 8.20, Matthew 8.20, And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes. Think of a foxhole, fur-lined. And the birds of the air have nests. Think of a bird's nest, down-filled. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. His everlasting arms stretched out on a cross, those arms also reached out to us, reached out to us, and we see the picture of it as he reaches out his arms to lost Israel, to the Jewish nation, as he said in Isaiah 65, 2, Isaiah 65, 2, I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people. He suffered all this for us. He suffered emptiness. He suffered personal loneliness. He suffered homelessness, all to open the door for us of Deuteronomy 33, 27, so that we could have the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Now we're saved. We're saved from emptiness. We're saved from loneliness. We're saved from homelessness because he suffered for us. The question is, how is the cross relevant to you and I today? What difference is the cross making in our lives today? You know, we sing the song at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. That was in the past. That was in the past. That's when we first saw the light. But what relevance is the cross today? When we speak of the gospel, we speak of the cross as an event in history and not as a relevant working power in our lives today. I mean, how is the cross relevant? How is it a relevant working power in our lives today? My friend was sitting in a, a very large church when the pastor said, if you can't tell me the day and the hour when you were saved, then I doubt, I don't believe that you are saved. He said, if you can't tell me when you were saved, then I doubt that you had a salvation experience. When the pastor said that, a person sitting next to my friend leaned over and said, well, I guess I better leave right now <laughs> because I don't know when I was saved but I know I am saved. When I ask the question, how is the cross relevant for you today? I'm not asking when you were saved. I'm asking a different question, which is how is the cross operational in you today? So as we take communion now, what we want to do is remember all the emptiness, all the loneliness, and all the homelessness he had to suffer so that we could have the eternal God as our home. Let's pray. Help us now, Lord, as we now take communion, take the bread, take the juice to remember you and what you suffered in your emptiness, loneliness, and homelessness for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.
tomcantor.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.